Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, because we haven't come about masks, we've come about the King, amen? The Lord of Lords, the great I Am, the one who was and is and is to come, and he is still worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our praise, and his word, as we will see today, is still sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides between joint and marrow, soul and spirit, it's the discerner of the intents of the heart of man. It still is. That's why we've come. We've come because our king has called us. And so we're here today to worship him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these blessed saints. And I pray, Lord, if I offended anyone, that you put that on my account, Lord. Not for the purpose of offense, but it's to draw us back to you, God. It's just so senseless. What is going on in the body of Christ right now? It's absurd, Lord. In light of all the things that we could concern ourselves with, that we're worried about our rights. Lord, you laid down your rights and you died on Calvary's cross. You ask us to pick up our cross and to follow you. And so, Lord, we give you this time as people who are no longer our own. We were bought and paid for with the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, Lamb of God, we submit ourselves to your tender care. Speak to us as your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 4, the first 13 verses. And therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Church, Christ's Kingdom is a kingdom of rest. It is not a kingdom of conflict. It's not a kingdom of warring. It's not a kingdom whereby we get our own will done. It's a kingdom wherein we do his will. It is his kingdom that we seek. And his kingdom is a kingdom of rest. Rest for our weary Souls, look, I understand. We're all tired. We're tired of the pandemic. We're tired of masks. We're tired of the conversations about those things. But the king is still worthy of our praise. He's still the Lord of Lords. He still has a plan and a purpose. And his kingdom is still a kingdom of rest. And so here in chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews puts the attention back on the things that really matter. And here's the truth, church. Man has been through religion attempting to make his own way to God for a very long time. Actually, since the Garden of Eden. Man has tried to prove his own worthiness, his own rightness, his own way. They've gone after all kinds of false gods, and people are still going after false gods, gods that cannot save 
and will not give you rest. Gods of our own making. And so the writer of Hebrews refocuses our attention that we who truly believe the word also do what it says. We who actually have received God's grace are doers of the word, exactly as James reminds us in chapter 1 and verse 22. We are people who don't just hear the word, we do what it says. And the result of that, right here, right now, is I get to rest in Jesus. I need rest. You need rest. I want to rest in Jesus, not just in eternity. I want to rest in him right now. I want what only he can provide in my life. All of us are going through things that you would say, man, it's just stealing my rest. It's stealing my joy. It's stealing my peace. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Because when I turn my attention back towards heaven, my rest returns. It's like, oh, that's right, God. You have this under control. What was that rest that was being spoken of here? Well, in that day and time, it was the rest of Canaan. Canaan's rest. And you can see in Deuteronomy chapter 12, you can read it later, principally there in verses 9 through 11, that there are many component parts to that rest. The land was supposed to be at rest. There was supposed to be security in the rest that the Jewish people would have. There was supposed to be physical peace, in other words, the absence of conflict. And there should be rest in the fact that God's presence was with them. Do you understand what that's saying? That God's presence was was with the Jewish people. And so by grace, where is the presence of God? It's in you. And if it's in you, it can't be taken from you. But you can ignore that rest. You can be anxious. You can throw your hands up in the air. You can scream and shout and stomp your feet. You can act like a child if you want to. You can say, well, I don't want that. I want what I want. That's the substance of most children's arguments, isn't it? I don't want that. You forfeit the rest of God when you refuse to do what God tells you to do. When you try and make your own way, go your own direction, when you tell God how he should control your life instead of you listening to what he has said about your life, You are essentially stomping your feet in front of the Lord going, I'm not going to do that. I want to do my own thing. Church, as his children, we're supposed to be attentive to his voice so that when he speaks, we understand who he is and we thereby do what he asks us to do because we know That his best is always our best. Too many Christians make the same tragic mistake that was made by the Israelites. What was that? 
they kept trying to do it their own way. And in fact, after Joshua and Caleb come into the land, after they lead the people into this land of promise to Canaan, we find two books written, the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. And throughout the book of Judges, the same phrase is repeated over and over and over and over at nauseum, at infinitum, and they did what was right in their own eyes. What was the result? War, famine, death, disruption, destruction, you name it. The children of Israel were supposed to be resting in the land of Canaan. They were stressing in the land of Canaan. They're saying, well, we don't like what God's done here. We like what the Amorites have. We like what the Moabites have. We like the way the Philistines live. We want what they have. And God's saying, no, you really don't. And so the lesson for us is this. I will always find rest in obedience to the voice of God. But I will never find rest in disobedience to the voice of God. When I am disobedient, I will not find rest. I'll find conflict. I'll find what the Israelites found. That required for them what it requires for you and I, and that's faith. Notice verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, and the word which they heard did not profit them. Now why is that important? Because it wasn't that God wasn't speaking. It's they didn't do it. It even says they heard it, but they didn't do it. It didn't profit them. In other words, they took it in intellectually and ignored what God said and went right about doing what they wanted to do. That is a recipe for your life to be topsy-turvy, upside down, and mine too. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in those who, there it is, they heard it, but it wasn't mixed with faith. Why is that important? Because the faith that we have in God absolutely believes the promises of God. So when God says something and he makes a promise, he had made a promise to them that they would dwell in this land and it would be flowing with milk and honey. That they would be at peace. But they didn't want the cost of walking in that rest. Because that required them to be righteous. And to stop following the false gods. And to walk in the ways of the Lord. And to flee sin. And to do the things that God had asked them to do. He told them, you will only get to live in this land as long as you are obedient. And he chose disobedience instead. And so they had war. They had conflict. They didn't have rest. Family. In our lives as believers, when we mix the word of God with faith in him, who he is, what he has done, why he has done it, what he has promised, the result of that is my heart 
is drawn towards obedience to the things he's asked me to do. Because I automatically assume that he wants his best for me. And he would not tell me to do something unless it was the best. You see, the children of Israel failed to walk in faith. Believing takes more than hearing is a way that you can look at it. You see, Moses had told them the truth. Joshua had told them the truth, but they had not done the truth. They had not acted on it. The secret ingredient from hearing to doing is faith. Faith that what has been said is exactly how God wants me to act. And I didn't do it. They didn't combine their hearing, in other words. They, they didn't take that to the next step, which would bring about obedience in their lives. This is a recipe for chaos and conflict in the life of every single believer. Disobedience will bring chaos and conflict. When God's word says something, and it doesn't matter what it is, I had multiple, as you might imagine, between Thursday and today, I've had a few emails, and they weren't all, God bless you, Pastor Jeff, that's so awesome. And I kept having to remind them, God's word has not changed. The reason we obeyed the first time, and the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and wherever we are now, the 614th time, the reason we obeyed was because God's word says we should. We must. We have to. It's not an option to us. I may not like it, you may not like it, we may collectively not like it. But until God changes what Romans 13 says and changes what Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote to Timothy, and changes what Peter wrote to the church, until those verses come out of our Bibles, the church has a responsibility to pray for our leaders and to honor them and to follow what they say insofar as it does not breach the word of God. And I'm sitting here looking at faces that are here to study the word and to worship the Lord. We are not being hindered from having church. We're simply having a piece of how we would normally do church abridged temporarily. And so we have to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That means even to death of self. <gasps> he did not just say that. Yes, the Christian life is a life of death to self. We are to be selfless, not selfish. We're to serve others unreservedly. We're to love others as we ourselves have been loved. We're to care for other people more than we care for our own lives. These are the plain teachings of Scripture, church. Those are not my words. Those are God's words. We're supposed to do them. They're supposed to be part of our living Verse 3, for we who have believed do not enter into that rest as it is said, so I swore in my wrath, 
they shall not enter. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Why would that be? Because the promises only apply to believers. The promises are believed on and acted on by real believers. People who don't do what God's word says have no right to claim the promises of God. If you're truly saved, then you truly are obedient. You may not be perfectly so. But we as God's children, we hear the words of God's. We go, yes, Father. Whatever you say, not, well, you know, I like that. God's rest only becomes ours in its truest and finest sense when we are most obedient to him. When I turn my attention to the things of the Lord and say, God, you asked me to live this way, and I live that way, that's where I have rest, right here, right now. I don't have to debate it anymore. I don't have to run around going, well, you know, I know how to make up this, this slogan or saying. And in contrast to that, the Israelites' unbelief caused them to forfeit what God had promised them. It's very easy to see. The entirety of the second half of the Old Testament is a story of the children of Israel's disobedience. It's like one king after another king. Well, God said this, but we're going to do that. One judge said this, but we're going to do that. The people heard this, but we're going to do that. Can I just tell you that Father knows best? Now, I'm old enough to have watched that TV show in black and white. Father does know best, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. If God has given us a kingdom that's a kingdom of rest, if Matthew chapter 11 is true, what Jesus said there is, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? We're coming to Christ believing that the promise of Jesus is true. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Then what did he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, listen up, find out who I am, listen to my word, learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When I am walking in the truth of God, I have a lightened burden and yoke. But when I walk in the ways of this world, that yoke is is heavy and burdensome. This world will extract a price from you that will one day kill you apart from the mercy of God. This world is a difficult place. It wants to put a lack of rest into your life. 
And the fact of the matter is, we don't have forever to sort all this out. We just have the life that we live here on earth. That's all the time we have. Because after this, for the believer, you're going into a kingdom of rest. But I don't know about you, I really don't want to have to wait to heaven to have some rest. I'd like to have some rest for my weary soul right now. And Jesus, by the way, was talking to people when he said those words in Matthew 11. He wasn't making an ethereal statement into the ether. He wasn't standing on a rock just talking to no one. He was talking to disciples. And so for us, church, if we want to rest, we have to do what the Father says. And in verse 5, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Why? Joshua and Caleb, as they go into the land, as Moses led them to the border there at Kadesh Barnea, the people didn't enter into rest for one reason and one reason only. Sin. Sin. That's the simplest way to understand it. They were walking in sin. They were walking in disobedience. They were walking in rebellion. You use lots of words to describe sin, but it's all sin. Amen? They were walking in disobedience. God said this, and they wanted to do this. God said, if you do this, you're going to pay a price for it. I want you to walk between these two places. Remember, he gave them two mountains. They're there at Shechem. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. The Mount of Blessing, the Mount of Cursing. One was in obedience, blessing. And one in disobedience, cursing. And he said, I want you to choose blessing. Choose life. Choose rest. And so this obedience is linked to our faith in who Jesus is in our lives. And since, therefore, there remains that some must enter into it, verse 6, and to those whom it was first preached, they did not enter because of disobedience. There it is. Why didn't they enter into their rest? Because they were disobedient. Because they wanted their own way. They wanted to be the captain of their own vessel. They wanted to drive their own car. One of the things that you learn very quickly when you're taking flight lessons is that you're really thankful for the pilot that is sitting in the other seat while you're learning how to fly. Because when you come in on your first final approach to an airport and you realize that if this doesn't go well, you're going to die, you want to be able to hand it over to someone else if necessary. That's the role of our relationship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He's always sitting there saying, well, if you are going to crash the plane, I'll take over. We have to be obedient, though. You can keep that yoke in your hand and say, no, forget it, we're going to fight. You see, there's two yokes in a training plane. Sometimes it takes the pilot wrestling it away from the student. Going, no, 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 no. You're going in way too fast. 
or you hit that stall speed way too soon, you're not even going to make it to the end of the runway. You see, if you don't surrender your will, you're going to crash. If you will not yield to the superiority of the instructor, you're going to die. And in a very same way, God the Father has linked all of these things that we have in Christ to our obedience to his plans, that his plans are good. They're good. God's plans for you are good. They're a future. They're a hope. I hope you have Jeremiah 29, 11 somewhere, you know, in your house or on your wall or in your Bible underlined. I know my thoughts towards you, says the Lord. They're good. They're not evil. Verse 7, he goes on, and again he designates a certain day, saying, David, today, after such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice and do not harden your heart, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would have not afterwards spoken, here it is, of another day. Joshua couldn't make good on the promises of God. God had to make good on the promises of God. I have to trust God. I have to rest in him. There would be no tomorrow, is another way to look at this verse, unless the one who holds tomorrow is God. If the one who holds tomorrow is me, I'm in trouble. If I'm resting in my own abilities, I'm in trouble. If I'm resting in my own strength, I'm in trouble. My own resources, I'm in trouble. If I am resting in Christ, then I am never in trouble. I'm good. No matter what happens. Joshua, as great as he was, could not cause obedience to come to pass in the life of the Israelites. It took faith, and they simply didn't have any. Certainly not all of them. I'm sure there were some, and I'm sure those some were spared. Can I just tell you, there's there's another side of God's word. You know, we, we often and should emphasize the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the long-suffering of God. That's very, very, very accurate, very true. But we also need to recognize the same word that tells us about grace tells us about justice and judgment. Tells us about wrath. That you can't have it both ways. If you accept the grace, then you get out of the wrath of God. But if you don't accept the grace of God by being obedient to the things that God has said, then that kind of still hangs over your head. The same Bible that says you're saved by grace and through faith says if you're not saved by grace through faith, the wrath of God abides on you still. Why is that important? Because you can't rest in sinfulness. You have to do what the Father says. We're supposed to be, in essence, in a living Sabbath. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, rest for the people of God. This is the only place where this word is used in the Greek in the entire Bible. It's a different kind of rest. It's that eternal rest. It's, it's forward to, to heaven, but it's also taking into account the life that we live today. 
It's rest for your weary soul right now, and it's rest for the future. It's a permanent living Sabbath. It begins now, and it goes all the way into the end of eternity if there was such a thing. It doesn't include any wanderings. It doesn't include turmoil. It includes nothing but peace. Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not peace as the world gives, which is simply absence of conflict. That's all the world's peace is. It's conflict versus lack of conflict. That's all the world can offer. My peace I give you. You can't get that peace any other way. You can't get that rest any other way. It's only found in Christ. And church, as I was rereading these verses this morning, it just struck me. I think one of the problems that's going on in our country right now is people refuse to rest in what the Word says. They don't trust God. They're leaning on their own understanding. They're not leaning on the wisdom of the Lord. They're not trusting what the Word says. They want to make their own way. And it's not working. And so the world is at turmoil. Our country is at turmoil. The church has lost its ability to be salt and light, not because we haven't spoken about politics, because we have not listened and obeyed the Lord. We refuse to do what he says. We won't put down our weapons of our flesh. And until we do, there will be no living Sabbath for us. Until I say in my heart, Lord, thou hast said, your servant hears, let me do it. Until I do that, I don't have peace. I don't have rest. And until we do it collectively, we don't have peace. We don't have rest. Instead, we have conflict. We don't want to be like the Jewish people wandering everywhere. They were displaced from the land of Canaan because of disobedience. They spent 2,000 years kicked out of the land that God had promised them. Verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Jesus didn't return to heaven and go, man, now what do we do? How are we going to get this done? Jesus couldn't offer rest that he himself didn't have. But he has that rest. And he wants you to have that rest, church. He doesn't want you all anxious. He doesn't want you hating your neighbor. He doesn't want you having fights and divisions. He doesn't want you running around trying to figure out all the things that are going on this earth and fretting to death. He wants you to rest in him. To receive what he has promised by faith. Here's the truth. And I know you guys can relate to this. Isn't there that weird thing that happens when you're going on vacation? Those two, three weeks before you go on vacation, you work like crazy to get ready to go, right? Matter of fact, so much so that sometimes you don't enjoy your vacation. But you put all this effort into, why? 
Because you're going to have rest. You do all these things to get ready. And in a very similar way, we're in that place right now as believers. One day you're going to take your last breath and permanently you will be in a kingdom of rest. But right now we are kind of in that state of I'm getting ready for that final rest, that permanent vacation. And so today I am busy about my father's business working out my own salvation with fear and trembling and experiencing even rest in the moment, knowing that day is coming. But if I don't engage in that, if I just let the world beat me up, if I let the world convince me, oh, there's no rest, then I have what the world has to offer. And it's not fun. It's harsh. It's hard So there's an invitation here for us to come and enter into that rest, even now. That's what John 14 is. In my Father's house are many mansions, amen? doesn't say in my Father's house is a you-build-it-you-live-in-it place, right? It's done. It's finished. The work is complete. You're going home to heaven. You're not, you're not going to be getting, you're not going to have a DIY project when you get there. It's going to be done. So we can be very thankful for the time that we're working right now to be obedient to the things that God's asked us to do, knowing that there is a promise of that rest. It motivates me. So we have to get busy about the word. All believers need to take this seriously. Let us therefore be diligent to enter in to that rest. You realize what that says? It's kind of almost contrary, isn't it? Be diligent, work at it, in other words, to enter into that rest. Why is that? Because there are things for the church to be doing right now. And it's not arguing and gossiping and fighting It's reaching and teaching and preaching and loving. There's things we're supposed to be diligently doing right now to enter into that rest, to make sure that other people are there with us to rest as well. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The children of Israel had the same promise. That's why Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a part that we play in this great plan. Those people in your neighborhood are going to hear about your Jesus by you speaking about him and living for him and doing what is right. Not in your own eyes, but in the eyes of the Lord. And frankly, the Bible is very clear that laziness is a source of disobedience. And that can be spiritual laziness. That can be physical laziness. Being unattentive to the things of this world, this life, doesn't get much accomplished. In the pressure of our world, it's easy to forget these lessons, church. The demands that God's word places on us, while they are God's business to empower us to get done, they're still his demands. Live godly in Christ Jesus. 
Be doers of the word. Love your neighbor. These are commands. They're not suggestions. God didn't just give us a bunch of suggestions. But do whatever you want. He said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. That's why those lists in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, the whole story of the book of Galatians, really, are contrast between being a hearer and a doer, between being someone who sows to the Spirit and someone who sows to the flesh. Do you want to reap righteousness? Then sow to the Spirit. Plant a garden of goodness. Plant a garden of goodness, of love, of care, of concern, of good works. Jesus himself said, you are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. He didn't say you earn it. He said the evidence that you're one of my disciples is you're actually a doer. Someone who works out their own salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing that God actually is still holy. I had a conversation a few weeks back with a guy that you know, really was essentially trying to convince me that God was no longer holy. That God just didn't care. We can live however we want. It's all grace, man. It is all grace, man. But that grace will drive you to your knees. That grace will cause you to look at your own life and say, Lord, this is not what you want. That grace will deeply embed the word of God into your life to where you will want to do what God wants you to do. You'll want to live godly in Christ Jesus. That's a work of the Spirit. If the Spirit's in you, the Spirit's going to be truthful with you. The fact of the matter is, is the word reveals the real you. For the word of God is living. Probably some verses that you should underline and highlight. My Bible, they're actually underlined, highlighted, italicized, circled. Matter of fact, you can no longer actually read them. I have to go to another Bible because the one that I teach out of, they're so marked up, I can't see them anymore. For the word of God is living. Church, it's alive. It's alive. It's not a dead document. It's not an old book by old dudes. It is alive. And it is powerful. The word there could be translated mighty and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Church, these verses tell us that when we come in contact with God's word, it actually reveals truly who we are. It discerns your heart and mine. How does it do that? By comparison. If the word of God speaks a truth and it's found in my life in that context, in that way, then that truth has spoken to me. It has discerned who I am. But if the Bible speaks a truth and it's not found in my life, and I know what that truth is and I don't do it, then it discerns 
my soul and my spirit, where am I with God? And the word here we often use, is it's a military sword, it's two-sided, it's got an edge, it cuts both ways, but there's actually a deeper meaning here. That blade is like a scalpel in the hands of a master surgeon. And it can cut right through everything. It gets past your joints and past your marrow. It goes around your nerves and around your blood vessels. It does surgery on you and reveals what's actually inside. And so if I want to walk in the rest of God, then I have to let God do surgery in my life with his word. If you've got cancer, oh, you can tell the oncologist, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of see how it goes. You know, I don't really believe in medicine. I don't believe in science. I don't believe you actually have any purpose. I just came in here because I wanted to mock you. Or you can listen to what the oncologist says, look, you have a tumor on your spine. And if you let me cut that tumor out and give you some radiation or some chemo, you're going to live a good, long, healthy life. Or you can do it your own way. You can drink a bunch of nani juice. You can get some of that healthy dark chocolate. You can eat all the grapeseed extract that you can find. If I'm messing with you right now, I'm sorry. I'm telling you the truth. I have some people in my life that died from that thinking. Oh, you can do nothing. Or you can let the surgeon do surgery. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But he's going to take something out of you that doesn't belong in you if you want to be healthy. You need to let him do the surgery he needs to do, and he's going to do that with the word. The word's just going to cut through all the junk that you are. And look, that's me too. Let me be really clear. The surgeon has had to do surgery on Pastor Jeff a lot of times. I don't get to escape what the word says myself. I have to let him cut away at me too. But when that word cuts away the dead stuff, I am alive. When he cuts out the cancer of sin in my life, I'm more alive than ever. I'm more useful than ever. I have more power than ever. You see, because that scalpel is in the hands of the master. And he doesn't cut good stuff out. He only cuts out bad stuff. He's going to show you, you know, you you really got to stop drinking all that diet soda. It's collected in your liver. True story. No, I'm not going to tell you that one. No, I should tell you that one. I used to drive to work. Diet soda in this hand and a Snickers in this hand. It's like, did anybody see the problem with that? It's like you're having the chemicals and the sugar. 
No, it's like the Lord is telling you, look in wisdom. You don't need the chemicals. You don't need the sugar. You go, but Lord. And oh, Cheetos are not a substitute for that. You see, the Lord may go through a whole bunch of things in your life and go, Jeff, the diet soda's got to go, the candy bar's got to go, the cheetah's got to go, and you got to eat vegetables. He knows what to cut out. And he knows what to add in. And he's not going to cut something out you need, and he's not going to add in something you don't. His word does that. It scans our souls. It's like the CT scan of God. The word of God comes over us. It's like, nah, that's a bad spot right there. That's got to go. But you know, this is all healthy over here. That's where I find rest. I let God do And God be in my life all that he wants to do. And B, I simply submit myself to his word. And let him do what he wants to do. And when I do that, I have rest for my weary soul. And when he gives that kind of rest, I'm good. Because what follows is infinitely better. Heaven's infinitely better better. And so let's rest as the word of God does what it needs to do in each of us. Be what he wants us to be in this world. And one day, we'll all be in heaven in our holy hammocks. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. You need prayer after service. We have a whole team of people in our prayer room love to pray with you. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't taken that first step of resting, today can be the day of salvation for you. Just walk into that prayer room and say, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to rest. I don't have rest. How do I find rest? Believe on his name and you'll be saved. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the rest that I have. And Lord, I want to apologize to you for my stirred up spirit at times. Lord, for those times when I don't trust you. and Lord, that lack of rest gets in. Lord, when my heart is stirred away from your truth. Lord, help us to stay focused. Steadfast immovable, abounding, Lord, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth there in chapter 15, verse 52, Lord, always abounding in those labors in you because they're not in vain. Lord, your obedience to your word is never in vain. It's always the best way. And so, Lord, we bless you for your work in us and to us and through us. Would you anoint us, Lord, to show people what it's like to rest in the middle of the storm. Lord, could we sleep alongside of you in the boat of turmoil of life? We bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done and for the work that you will do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.